everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hi, everyone. <laughs> uh, welcome to book club. Oh, my gosh. Are you excited? Isn't this intimate? This is very intimate. Um, full disclosure, we are recording this pretty much right on the heels of the Q&A. Um, <laughs> you won't be listening to this for a month or so. But uh, here we are. We're feeling good. <laughs> we are. Um, the first entry in our book club. Wait, um, sorry. I'm Molly Olguin. <laughs> I'm Jackie Hedeman. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yes. we're going to get into that eventually. We'll, we'll remember uh, to introduce ourselves. Yeah. Um, so the first entry in our book club, uh, which our book club is um, a bunch of various things that influenced... Uh, the creation and uh, continued source of inspiration for the Pasithea Potter. Um, yes. And the first entry in our book club is Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier. Yes. Oh, my God. I am so excited to be talking about this. Oh, my God. Me, too. Yeah. Uh, I. So Molly and I watched this separately. I watched it last night. You just finished? I just finished, like, one minute ago. <laughs> I love it. My notes, I took notes, um, they are increasingly incoherent because last night I drank a lot of wine on Zoom with my college roommates <laughs> and then immediately afterwards started rewatching The Winter Soldier while drinking water. But it is true that your body continues to metabolize alcohol <laughs> <laughs> as you just sit there. And so, um, wow, these notes. <laughs> well, my notes are are totally sober notes and yet they also make very little sense because I have a lot of feelings about superheroes. So yeah. let's, uh, let's, dive um, in. let's dive in. Let's dive in. Well, but okay. So as a, as a precursor, um, tell me about the first time you saw the winter soldier. So the first time I saw the winter soldier, was it with you? It was definitely, no, no. Okay. I saw it in grad school with a bunch of grad school people. And so I didn't remember if you were there. Um, but it was, uh, at this one mall in Columbus, Ohio, we or like a shopping mall. We went to the movies, uh, this AMC and it was with a bunch of people who I think were like kind of there to see it ironically. And I was so <laughs> sincere about it. <laughs> so we left the theater and I was just like freaking out and the, you know, there were people who were very indulgent of my freaking out, but they were also like what are you talking about? Like, I haven't seen the other Avengers movies. I don't know why Molly is having a conniption, but I was having, like, <laughs> five conniptions. Oh, my God. The first time I saw it was with you, but I was not <laughs> there for that. It was, I came to visit you in St. Paul at some point, and oh we watched The Winter Soldier, and then for 12 months, I read nothing but Winter Soldier Steve Bucky fanfic. <laughs> oh my god, I totally forgot that that was the first time you'd seen it. It's I had never seen movie. it before. I saw Captain America the First Avenger when I lived in Chicago. I went to see it because of Haley Atwell. We'll get to that. Yep. Um and but I had kind of like no necessary I didn't really have any desire to see the Winter Soldier because I heard that Haley Atwell wasn't really in it <laughs> and um Uh-huh. There, it turns out there's more than one reason you want to see a film. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I fully understand it, it's a crime that Haley Atwell isn't in it more. And the little she is in it, wow, it really uh, packs a punch. Um, yeah. Wait, before we get into discussing uh, the, the details, can you like give our listeners who maybe haven't seen The Winter Soldier, like, what's the two-minute summary of what happens in The Winter Soldier? Yes, good. Um, so <laughs> I'm glad you, I'm glad you suggested that. Uh, basically Captain America, the Winter Soldier is the sequel to the first Captain America Marvel movie. Um, in the first Captain America movie, we're introduced to Steve Rogers, who is Captain America and his childhood friend, Bucky Barnes, who is Bucky Barnes. Um, then in the Winter Soldier, Steve Rogers is living in the future. He has left World War II, uh, which is his natural milieu after being frozen. <laughs> and now he's a member of the Avengers. And um, he's basically being an Avenger, living life. Uh, starts to hear about some kerfuffles. I, I, can you tell I don't really care about the main plot? <laughs> um, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> 
<laughs> starts to hear about some shit. Um, encounters this character known as the Winter Soldier, who's a bad guy, wears a mask. Um, also, uh, he's an Avenger, but like Avengers are under the auspices of this organization called S.H.I.E.L.D., which is like under the DOJ or something. That's Department of Justice or Department of Defense. DOD. Department of Defense for the international listeners. It's very clearly like the CIA, except for superhero matters. Like that's what it seems to me. Totally. Um, So he he hears about this person, the Winter Soldier, around about the same time he hears that um, S.H.I.E.L.D. has been compromised by HYDRA, the Nazis of the Marvel Universe, And he's trying to figure all that out when, out of nowhere, he realizes, because he sees it, that the Winter Soldier is none other than his long-dead childhood friend, Bucky Barnes. And that is the Winter Soldier. (laughs) Okay, um, I'm going to give another plot summary. Thank you! (laughs) My plot summary is different than yours, because it's absolutely going to reveal our priorities here. Yes. Oh my god, I forgot about- sorry, go on. Yep, you got it, you got it covered. Captain America the Winter Soldier is a romantic comedy that begins with a meet-cute. Steve Rogers, the newly awakened (laughs) Captain America, um, time-traveled via being frozen in the Arctic uh, from World War II, uh, is doing laps around uh, a monument (laughs) in uh, Washington, D.C., and meets uh, a man named Sam Wilson, uh, who is an army vet who works at the VA, and... Steve, Steve and Sam have just the absolute cutest, like, banter back and forth. Like, they're both veterans, but of very different wars. And, like, they kind of bond over their, like, good-humored, like, approach, I guess, to talking with strangers about their, like, mutual trauma. And then yep. as Steve encounters all of this, like, you know, stuff going on with S.H.I.E.L.D. being infiltrated by Nazis, which, of course, is, like... That those are his demons, right? Like Nazis are like mm-hmm. the World War Two monsters, and like Steve now has to kind of reckon with the fact that like his monsters are back in the present, and like he hasn't left them all behind. Like it's such mm-hmm. a it's such a PTSD metaphor, right? Um, yes. And then like he goes off and figures all of this stuff out with Natasha, the Black Widow, um, and. For a lot of the movie, like a surprisingly big chunk of the movie is Sam and Natasha on like a road trip where they like yeah. bond and talk about their mutual trauma. And then... It, um, wait, is that in this movie? Yes. Oh my God. I thought you rewatched it last night. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is a big chunk of the movie where it's Sam and Natasha and they like go to an Apple store. No, sorry, not Sam and Natasha. Steve, Steve, and Natasha. Steve. Steve. An Apple store. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. Sam? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like, I will... I've never seen Ultron, so what do I know? <laughs> I will definitely mix up the names Steve and Sam because I cannot keep two uh, names that begin with the same letter apart that are one syllable. That will inevitably happen. Uh, but just take it as a sign of my deep love for both Steve and Sam, I guess. Um, but anyway, yes. So Captain America and the Black Widow, uh, names that I won't mix up, go on a road trip of self-discovery and friendship. And then they meet up with Sam. Um, and they discover that Sam has, like, more superhero powers than he has revealed previously in that uh, he was working on the thing with the U.S. military to fly like an angel, but they're like metal wings. And um, Mm -hmm. he is therefore the Falcon um, in uh, the TV show. The is it the Winter Soldier and the Falcon? What's the TV show called? Oh, yeah. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. I have not seen that TV show. (laughs) um, He's he's sure one of the main characters in it. Um, yeah, eventually I will watch it. I just need to wipe certain things from my brain, which we will not talk about, or we will. We'll find out. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, and then Sam helps Steve on like his mission because what Steve's mission basically is is to confront like his ghosts. And Sam mm-hmm. helps Steve on that mission. Steve confronts his ultimate ghost, which is Bucky. And then uh, at the end of it. Sam is sitting by Steve's bedside and uh, playing him at Marvin Gaye. And that yeah, is playing uh, the Marvin Gaye. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a fucking montage and then it's over. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Okay. So. Okay. Do we want to do this chronologically? We have not talked about this. Do we, we want to do this chronologically or like thematically just what hits us? I think we just got to do thematically. What hits you? Okay. Okay. Because, all right. So if we're talking about like, I think, okay. I feel like I want to start by talking about like that, the sort of like queerness of this film. Oh God, it's so queer. Yes, please. Because, okay, so an observation I had while watching this, and mm. I, I like this because you can cover Sam and I can cover Bucky and I can also like add some Sam and you can also add some Bucky. Yes. Um, With some Black Widow throughout. But I was noticing in the like, Steve Bucky flashbacks to their youth and friendship and also just kind of any like reverie where Steve is talking about Bucky in the past they have this like 1940s style film music scoring it which is like inherently romantic because I love a black and white film and it has certain black and white films have certain scoring conventions mm-hmm. and one of them is like this kind of soft very melodic like it almost kind of sounds like you should be standing on a ranch looking out at the sunset <laughs> like and that is what is playing every single time that Stephen and Bucky think about each other basically and okay. it's like that's a cue <laughs> yes okay yes so Let's let's get that out of the way first of all. This movie is so queer. It is queer on multiple yeah. levels. Like it's queer all the way down. Yeah. Um and Steve Steve and Bucky, I hadn't noticed that about the music feeling like old-timey like r- romantic sort of music swelling, but that totally makes sense to me. Um and also just the music in this movie in general, like the Winter Soldier theme where it just like Bucky comes into Ugh. view and then like suddenly the music is screaming. It's just like the music itself is panicking that he's in the frame. It's, oh my God. I need the listeners to know, because um, we promised to relate this back to Pasithea, which trust me, it does oh, and we will. Yes, it does. But um, I listened to the Winter Soldier theme and the alien theme from Annihilation, inter- like on repeat, the two of them, while writing the final scene of season two. <laughs> Because it very much is that thing of, like, you thought that one thing was happening, and now a completely different thing is happening, and everything is shrieking at you. Yes. Yes. Um, Okay, wait. While we're talking about the love stories, though, I have some notes. I took, I made a list while I was watching of the love stories that I was noticing in the movie, because there are so many love stories. And some of them are, like overt love stories and some of them are like just uh clearly presented but not labeled love stories um Mm, and and some of them are are platonic and some are are less platonic but okay my list is first stam and sieve uh did i just say stam and sieve stam and sieve (laughs) (laughs) i cannot talk today um i'm also having trouble (laughs) Sam and Steve have the, like, rom-com meet-cutes. They have, like, the thing where they speak and reveal these vulnerable truths to each other. Like, literally, structurally, the Winter Soldier, like, fits romantic comedy beats with the Sam and Steve relationship. It's incredible. Um, And then, obviously, Steve and Bucky. Like, you've got just the whole thing of it. Like, you look at the first two, even into, like, the third movie, which we'll talk about the third movie later. Like, it's, it's just a big love story between the two of them, right? Um, yeah, Stephen. The Peggy. whole thing is set up while we're there. The yeah. whole thing is set up to like Steve and Natasha, the Black Widow, are having these conversations throughout the first half of the film, where she's like, "You should date so and so, lady. You should date so and so, lady." And he's basically like putting her off with these classic like queer and or ace things of like, mm-hmm. "I'm too busy. I don't have time." And then later he goes, believe it or not, it's hard to find someone with shared life experience. So, like, (laughs) this whole thing is pointing to, I'll give it to you, either Sam or Bucky as people who have shared life experience and do the same job. But continue. Yes. Superheroes with PTSD. Um, But yes. Yes. Uh, Okay. So then Steve and Peggy, because, my God, it's the canonical romance that Steve has that they throw him back into in uh, whatever that Avengers movie was. Um, it's like yeah. the, it's the big Steve romance that's like there. Um, Steve and Sharon. Um, yep. 
Steve and Natasha. And then here's yep. the only romance I have, or not romance, here's the only love story I have that doesn't feature um, Steve. It's Nick and Natasha. The love between yes. Nick and Natasha, I feel like, really jumped out to me on this viewing. Like I agree. Oh. I think, like... When she Go thinks on, he's sorry. dead, though, when Natasha thinks Nick is dead, and she, like, has that moment where she puts her head, her hand on his head and then just, like, takes it off. It's so tender. It is, like... If Natasha, I'm sorry, this whole thing is going to have spoilers for just every Avengers thing I've seen, um, which yeah. is not all of them, but a lot of them. Um, if <laughs> Natasha had to sacrifice herself for a dude, why couldn't it have been Nick Fury, who she obviously has all of these feelings for, like romantic, platonic, like familial, like she just has so much yes. love for him. It's so visible. And Scarlett Johansson does such a good job of like demonstrating that love. Yeah, I feel like on this rewatch, I think because I was taking notes and like paying attention in a different way and because I was watching it through the lens of Pasithea Powder, Nick Fury was really jumping out at me because I wrote down Nick Fury slash Isabel Rowley parallels are off the chain. Oh, I wrote down there's a little bit of a Cullen Sophie dynamic with Steve and Nick. Wait, I love this because you were like, oh, the other person's mentor. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Wait, where did I put this? I uh, edit me out. Um, Is it really that early? Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yes. It was during the hospital scene that I started to consider these parallels because there was this real like he pulled us into this and now we don't know what we're doing. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's totally true. That is totally true. I think, like, the... Let's see. I'm trying to see if I have any more notes on this, but it's just, like... These are very incoherent notes. <laughs> I... Think, yeah. Steve... Okay, I, do, I did write down, Steve and Natasha and Maria watching Fury and Surgery has such, like, rally conspirators having feelings about Rowley, like that vibe of just like, this is the person who's thrown us all into this mess, but also we really care about them. And we really like, uh, we're panicked by the idea of the person who's in charge leaving in, in like a personal way. Right. Um, That does totally have usable Rowley energy, but also like the kind of the, the fact that, like, Steve and Nick, like, clearly are fond of each other, but do not trust each other at all. That, to me, has, yes. like, Sophie Cullen feel to it. Well, in general, like, the theme of trustworthiness and trust and friendship was really jumping out at me, too. Because that is a theme that we deal with a lot with our characters. And, I mean, like, mm-hmm. Steve and Natasha on their PTSD road trip have that whole conversation about, like, he clearly wants to be her friend. And she just kind of, like, doesn't really believe in the concept. And because, like, his terms for being a friend are, like, I want to get to know you. And she's like, I need to keep myself safe. (laughs) So I can't tell you the truth at any point. (laughs) That's so true. That's so true. Also, um, I wrote, okay, that exact moment. Uh, where they're in the car together. Um, that thing that Scarlett Johansson does where she goes, there's a chance you might be in the wrong business, Rogers. Like, her delivery of that line is just, like, kind of her single-handedly telling us, like, okay, we're in a noir now. Like, you can't, yes. like... you, you She you, is in, in a, a noir the entire time. The <laughs> yes. entire time. When she picks Steve up at the beginning when he had to meet cute with Sam and she's yes. like going my way basically it's like oh my god (laughs) absolutely it's just like i'm natasha romanoff i am a femme fatale it's fine let's get in the car humphrey bogart's waiting like that's that's just the vibe she's like almost solely responsible for all the humor in this also because she's like also the only i think because she's so hardened she's like the only one who's not like passively suicidal in this film yeah oh god i wrote well sam sam yeah okay sam sam and natasha i think like the passively suicidal thing we should put a content warning at the top of this by the way Um, yeah but the passively suicidal thing i think is really 
important because Steve, yes from like literally the first note i have is uh that steve is like so high functioning but so obviously has a death wish like yes. the the fight scene he has with uh that one guy on the boat where he just like rips yes. off his mask and he's like you know on va like he's like okay yeah see if you can take me down please i kind of want someone to do it that's the vibe i get from yeah it. yeah i mean this is like i i intended this to be my final point but this is when it is coming up like my final note for this is I understand now why, because when we were talking about this, and I think in past Q&As, we've talked about, like, all, Sophie, Jane, and Evelyn all have their moments of being Steve Rogers. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching this initially, I was like, that's kind of weird, because, like, I'm not really, I think, you know, watching it, I was watching Steve Rogers, but then I got mm-hmm. to the end, and I was like, okay, what makes a Steve Rogers? Two things desire to do the right thing and suicidal heroism (laughs) and that is why everyone is steve rogers because between those three characters like those two qualities are present in abundance in various configurations that is such a good point like suicidal heroism is his defining trait like that's what makes him that's what makes him agree to like take the shot to become Captain America in the first place is that he is so desperate to go be cannon fodder and die in the war that he'll like try to sign up like five different times and then he'll do this experimental thing that might kill him. And then it's how he ends the first movie. He like takes the the plane and he's going to fly it into the ocean. And like, it's it's just like what he is. He's like, I'm going to do this thing that's really brave and might kill me. And yeah, and he just keeps doing it. He doesn't stop. He does. I was thinking about that, too, because this is another Sophie parallel. Maybe Jane, too, to a lesser extent. But I feel like in the first film, and then you catch resonances of it here, he's really, like, looking for a life's purpose. And the army is kind of, like, his last option. And he, like, talks mm. his way in. And then he becomes a super soldier. And so in this, when, like, basically it's rotted from the inside. Like he does kind of lose his sense of purpose a little bit. Like he was so like, that was kind of like the last thing he was clinging to before he meets Sam and he tries to befriend Natasha. And like, before he sees Bucky again, like his purpose was the only thing he had left. And like that gets undermined. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like being an Avenger isn't like being in a soldier, being a soldier. It's like, it's a lifestyle choice. It's not like a, a job that you have like being an yeah. avenger means every couple of years when there's an alien invasion like tony stark will beep you and then like boom you're yeah. gonna go do something but like it's not the day in day out grind and like yeah fellowship that he like clearly has like in the first movie it is also i also was making notes about this it is interesting to me how many superhero movies in general are really about the question of like what makes life worth living because like at some level they're always trying to like defend some way of life which is like Mm -hmm. an answer to that question Mm -hmm. and it's like it's kind of it's like delightfully dark when you think about it that way because like when you think about what makes life live worth living you have to think about like the flip side of it as the stakes of what happens if they do not succeed right and like steve is just constantly like walking around as a living embodiment of that tension yeah no that's a really that's a great point like the world that steve left isn't one the audience particularly wants back right yeah um yeah and so like you don't have that like, like if he had gone to the future, you might be like, oh, no, we we maybe want Steve to time travel backwards or we want Steve to, which I think is part of the failure of, um, God, whatever the Avengers Age, it wasn't Age of Ultron. Was, I always, uh, for, I, yeah, I'm like that one that I don't name, not because whatever, but I don't remember the title. <laughs> I, I literally, I'm like, Civil War is the disappointing third movie in the Captain America trilogy. I don't. Endgame. Endgame. Okay, yeah. Endgame. Like, in Endgame, they they do that. They're like, oh, okay, we are going to fling him backwards in time. And he is not all the way back to the 40s. He gets to, like, you know, be there in the 50s or whatever. Um, Yeah. But 
that's so unsatisfying because we and don't unsettling. want that. <laughs> no. Yes. No. No. I mean, like, for queer reasons, which we don't have to tell all you listening why that's fucked. Um, but also, it's like, I was thinking about that while I was watching this. Mm-hmm. Even if he doesn't get sent back to the past, it's already true that this has that kind of, like, don't think about it too hard, otherwise you'll realize how upsetting it is, like, Narnia quality of, like, they come back in Prince Caspian and all their friends are dead and have been dead for many, many years. Like, it's that kind of, like, you don't belong anywhere, but then, like, when he goes back in the past, I can't imagine him belonging in the past because he's been in the future. (laughs) It's, yeah, he's, uh... He effectively, like, just doesn't belong anywhere. And yeah. I think the fact that... The fact that Sam is the person who sees and, like, knows what to do about that, I think, is really important. Yeah. Because, like, Sam is used to working with people and to feeling like he also doesn't belong anywhere. Because, like, mm-hmm. he saw terrible things during his war and mm-hmm. like that oh that beautiful line about like that he just delivers so casually about his friend who died and he's like oh yeah i was like i was up there just to watch like that to me felt like it could have been a sophie line um, oh yeah oh god <laughs> kill me right and like the fact that steve's circumstances are actually kind of just this heightened version of sam's circumstances of like mm-hmm. yeah something happened and it meant you actually couldn't go home to to eat any version of home. You couldn't go back to the the place before the terrible thing happened to you. Um, but the new place that you're in after the terrible thing happened to you also isn't a place where you fit. Um, and yeah. you have to like figure out a way to live with that. Yeah. Well, and I think like you get that in the scenes where Bucky Barnes is starting to remember like maybe like snatches of himself as a person. Ugh. And before his brain gets wiped again, you can kind of feel him like rejecting that knowledge. Yes. And then at the end where he no longer has the option of having his brain wiped, he rejects the knowledge like just long enough to deal with it. And like, this is why that, this is why, cause I am who I am and our show is what it is. This is why I read fanfic for 12 months because yeah. it's like these kind of like existential questions that Marvel is incapable of like looking at head on like they'll definitely put them into the mix for sure but it's sort of like the collateral damage in the fight scenes like they'll feature it but they Mm. won't really like grapple with what it really means to like be tortured for 50 years (laughs) well Um, yeah they're they're trying to sell toys that's their end game (laughs) totally it's like they you know you know disney disney bought them they're a disney product bucky barnes is a disney princess exactly um but that is such a good point. Like, okay, can we talk about Buffy? Uh, Buffy, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I literally can't talk today. <laughs> this is like, wait, it's like, there's an SNL sketch of like, what moms call actors. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm the mom now. I'm the mom in this situation. Stamp and <laughs> Steve and Buffy. <laughs> God. Okay. Um, can we talk about Bucky as ghost story? Because look, I wrote these lines down. Um, Natasha is telling Steve about her encounters with the Winter Soldier over the years. And she says, um, you know, a story about how he shot her and she can't wear bikinis anymore. And then, um, Steve goes, so he's a ghost story. And then she's like, yeah, like you said, he's a ghost story. And then the scene ends when Steve says, well, Let's find out what the ghost wants. And Ugh. that's every ghost story. That's every single ghost yeah. story that's ever written is let's find out what the ghost wants. But specifically, that's every that's every story about trauma. That's just like, oh, okay. Like, Buffy... <sighs> I did it again. Bucky is, like, the monster <laughs> at the end of the book. Like, he is the ghost that, like, crawls out of Steve's brain and starts just haunting mm-hmm. everyone. Like, he's the consequences. He is, like, the trauma that's unburied that they then all have to deal with. I just had a moment yeah. because so until Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther came along, mm-hmm. this was the best one. Yeah, totally. And now those three are the best three. And I think those three are all about that. 
Like, whether it's Killmonger, or I can't remember, Kate Blanchett's character. Hello. It's like, this truth about the people you're living at the expense of. Mm. Mm. Oh, I love that. I think, like, yeah, I'm one of my all-time uh, MCU favorites is also the first Iron Man movie. And that oh, yeah. is also the story there, right? Like, yeah. having to face the the thing that uh, your your life has been designed to let you not face. Yeah. Yeah. I like that they all do it in such different ways, too. Like, each of the quote-unquote villains are, like, along a spectrum of redeemability. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but in each case, it is that thing of, like, yeah, this is the this is the history you would rather not have to grapple with, like either out of like mercy or out of like um, convenience or whatever. And I think in Steve's case, it's out of like an inability to like truly to face his own like hurt. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, I want to leave the past in the past because if I like try to live with it, it's yeah. Peggy Carter lying in a bed who can't remember me. Yeah. You know? That's the other... Like, so... uh, Memory is a huge thing, obviously. But we've talked before on Patreon when we were talking about the agents, and I was talking about how much I love Tinker Taylor, about, like, I love this thing of this kind of, like, when did you know Mm. question of, like, regardless of whether you, like know who the bad guy is but like you know you didn't want to acknowledge it or even if it was not like a fully realized thing that you were suppressing but on some level you knew about it I was watching the scene where Nick Fury gets shot in Steve's apartment Steve chases the Winter Soldier the Winter Soldier catches his shield Mm, and throws it back and they kind of lock eyes across a really far distance Yes. And there's this moment and I'm like, I don't think Steve at all even like could imagine that it would be Bucky. But there's like something in him that in that moment like starts to know. (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. Oh, I was thinking about this. I'm sorry. This is a little bit of a silly point. But I was thinking about how much like the Winter Soldier's face mask just looks like an N95. And how like... (laughs) I hope there are cosplayers out there taking advantage of this fact and that they're just yes. cosplaying the Winter Soldier at all times now. But I was also thinking about how Steve doesn't recognize him until he takes the mask off. And like, yeah. I don't know anymore. Like, it's not, it doesn't surprise me that like Steve has this moment of recognizing him without recognizing him because like, don't we all do that every day now? Don't we all just oh, go, yeah. oh yeah, I know who that is. That's my coworker who I've never seen uh, the mouth of. Um, yeah. And, like, I don't know, there's something about, like, that. But then, like, okay, so I also, I as I think I've said before, I'm a teacher. And we, you know, obviously only see our students with masks on. Um, except if they're outside and they're eating, they can take their masks off. And so I brought them, like, treats recently, and I saw them all eating without their masks <laughs> on. And it was this weird moment of, like, oh, who are you? Like, I've never seen you before. <laughs> Because, like, your brain kind of fills in what you think the rest of their face is going to look like. And then uh, mm-hmm. when it's not what you expect, you're just like, oh, I, I've spent a lot of time with you all this last semester, but I actually don't know who you are, like, at all. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That that moment of, like, almost alienation, but actual recognition, I think, is very relatable these days. Totally. Totally. Well, and so my silly side point for that is... This was the first time, the, all the times I've watched The Winter Soldier were like, you know, on a Roku or whatever with other people. This is the first mm-hmm. time I watched it like on my laptop. And there's the scene where um, the Winter Soldier shows up at Alexander Pierce, the like big bad corporate guy, the director moon of the tale, <laughs> um, shows up at his apartment and then... Um, it, Pierce's housekeeper walks in on them and Pierce shoots his housekeeper and there's a flash of the gun and you can see the Winter Soldier's face in that moment when you if you pause it in mm-hmm. that moment which like that was fascinating to me because it's like 
that opens up the level of knowing to like kind of involve the audience also, which I think like if we're taking into account the reality of going to see a movie, like either you're going to see it and you like see Sebastian Stan on the poster (laughs) in the tiny font at the bottom, or you're like, I know this story from the comics. So like, I know what's happening Mm -hmm. or not. And you see in that moment who it is. Or later, you don't know anything, and you're watching on Amazon, and the thing in the side pops up that's like, Sebastian Stan is in this scene, and you're like, oh? Right, right. Like, there's so many layers of knowledge, but even with all that, it is truly shocking and upsetting Mm. when Steve finally sees Bucky's face when his mask falls off. I... A lot of the notes that I wrote down are literally just like, Chris Evans is such a good actor. Scarlett Johansson, such a good actor. Nick, uh, Sam, Samuel L. Jackson, such a good actor. But like that moment where Chris Evans like plays it not like as shock, but just like Steve has no reaction. Like his face is just None. like frozen. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I wrote that down too. I where I wrote. I said, the way Steve is just totally, exclamation point, stunned, exclamation point, after the revelation. And then I was thinking about, like, how quickly he puts together the implications of this knowledge and how quickly he, like, assumes the guilt of the knowledge. Yeah. Um, Because, like, the Winter Soldier is, like, a failed or a failed-ish version of Captain America, right? Like, um, the Marvel Universe is full of all of these... Like, Captain America, like, experiments gone wrong. Like, the Hulk is a failed Captain America. Like, mm-hmm. the all, all of these, like, the Red Skull itself, like, the, the first villain in the, the Captain America movies. There's, like, this whole rogues gallery of, like, um, failed versions of, like, the perfect, ideal, all-American man that, like, Steve is. Yeah. And, like, I feel like every time Steve meets a new entry, he's just like, oh, oh, God. Um, oh, yeah. one thing I want to talk about. Okay, so Natasha is also a failed Captain America. And that's not something that the movies have spent a lot of time talking about. This is stuff that I know no. from the comics. But so in the comics, um, Natasha doesn't just know Bucky from like the the times that she's like encountered him on opposite sides of a mission. She knows him because both she and Bucky worked for Hydra slash the Red Room, which makes the Black Widows. And so, like, there's, like, this whole story of, like, Natasha as, like, a Black Widow in training, like, doing these missions with, like, the Winter Soldier and him staying the same age as she gets older because he keeps being frozen. And then, like, they fall in love. And so, like, there's this whole... It's actually a really beautiful love story in the comics of, like, Natasha and and Bucky. And I'm actually kind of sad that they didn't... I get why they didn't. But I'm a little sad it didn't make the cut because... I love the idea of both Natasha and Steve being a little bit in love with versions of Bucky that no longer exist, right? Yeah. On the one hand, I, I also, I agree with you. I get why they didn't. Yeah. But also, why didn't they? Because, like, <laughs> if they're that committed to heterosexuality, like, that is an mm. amazing story. Like... Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, also I think they're just not they're not committed to sexuality at all, so that's a problem. <laughs> I think like uh it's I think the reason they didn't is because they're trying to make it just Steve's story, right? And that's yeah. that's a really interesting story, but I think it's Natasha's story or Bucky's story, it's not Steve's story, right? Yeah. Um, you're right. But yeah, like it's I like that so much. I like the idea of like there are all of these like Bucky is a ghost, but he's like a ghost in multiple ways to multiple people. Um, yeah, and like it. Okay, yeah. wait on Natasha. So yeah. earlier you compared her to a femme fatale. I compared her to like the comic relief of the yeah. movie. We're both dead on. <laughs> I also have this note that's like, oh my god, why is Natasha Josephine Crooks? <laughs> like I also that, that sums up. The whole thing. That's so she is Josephine Crooks. Um. <laughs> She's just been cooks. There's a moment where I was like, Natasha's bringing some Moreau energy. And it's when um, Steve and Natasha are in the, the mall and like she's giving him these directions on how to not get caught. I'm just like, I could see this like happening to like Jane and Moreau. 
where like oh yeah for sure Moreau would be like you know quick like put your arm around my shoulder and laugh at something I said like I think that could happen I was thinking Sam had some Moreau energy also with the like the uh, kind of like almost I think Natasha has early Moreau energy I think Sam has later post mind meld Moreau energy where because I think one thing, one area where Sam is like a blessing of a friend is that he doesn't let anything go. Mm-hmm. Like, he follows up. Yeah. So, like, in the first meet cute, he goes, it's your bed, right? Like, after they've had their, like, well, see you later moment, he doesn't let it end. Yeah. He, like, asks a follow-up question just to make sure everything's okay. And I think that's something that Sophie needs and does not have. Um and I think that's a huge, beautiful quality that Moreau has. Yeah. Oh, that's that's lovely. Um, yeah, I... God. Um, I'm going to read the note that I have right here, which is just, God, Chris Evans has long eyelashes. Because, <laughs> my yeah. God, they're, they're very long. Uh, yeah. And then I want to take it back, actually, a second to talking about Robert Redford, uh, who plays Pierce. Um, yeah. Because I love that scene with uh, Redford and uh, the Winter Soldier in the house drinking the very tiny amount of milk that the internet thought was very funny. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that's how you know he's a villain. <laughs> like, I don't know which is more villainous, like having the milk in the first place or drinking such a small amount of it. <laughs> Why is the villainous to have milk? because it's so creepy i don't know i drink milk but like not at night (laughs) i don't know sometimes you're you're standing in front of the refrigerator you're out of Lacroix, and you're like what's like a cold beverage i could use real quick to just like quench my thirst and you're like milk i don't know (laughs) i feel like of all the things we have ever said this is the biggest twitter bait (laughs) (laughs) probably (laughs) this is right up there with washing your legs (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wait did i talk about washing my legs on a patreon thing no 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 no, not at all neither of us have ever talked about washing <laughs> legs it's just i remember there was a big twitter discourse a few years ago about like do you wash your legs <laughs> <laughs> okay <what? laughs> i was like that would be a really weird thing for me to bring up <laughs> i uh... very simplistic but i think it's a good one which is that young robert redford looked a lot like chris evans and so yes when you see like steve and pierce sitting across a table it's a little bit like oh uh, who's the young man who's the old man because you know steve is actually older than pierce like you know watsonianly but doyalistically robert redford just looks like an aged up chris evans and then yeah. i also think about like the fridge horror implications of that where like Pierce has had Bucky under his direct control, presumably for a long time. So, like, imagine when someone who looked exactly like a young Steve Rogers, like, opens up the cryo chamber and then, like, gives Bucky a terrible order and treats him like an object and not like a person. Oh, God. It's so funny. I also, I had a similar thought about Robert Redford and Chris Evans. I was like... It didn't go as deep. It was not as well developed, but it was basically like, oh, handsome meet handsome. <laughs> like, but it's true. Like Robert Redford was the Chris Evans of Robert Redford's time, it's which so is like true. indisputably. Yes. No, for sure. Um, oh, here's a, a question I have. Maybe it's because I wasn't, I don't know if I was paying enough attention this time, but how did Steve like know where Sam lived? I wrote that off as one of those movie things, like how detectives always know to run in the correct direction of the suspect. <laughs> um, 
I choose to believe it is because they have had a one night stand and therefore that's yes. what Yeah, no, he's been there. For the same reason <laughs> that he knows that Sam has a hair straightener in his house. <laughs> he must have a hair straightener in his house because Natasha and Steve are talking and Natasha's hair is wet and it is starting to frizz up and she has not a single overnight bag on her. And then in the very next scene, her hair is straight and <laughs> shiny. Yes. Yes. Um, so you know that Sam is like the nicest hookup. He has like every amenity for every possible type of person <laughs> that he could conceivably hook up with. There's a part where uh, Natasha like has to like fake kiss Steve for like avoiding the enemy purposes, a trope which I adore. Um, and yes. then in the car later, they're talking about it. And she's like, was that your first kiss since 1945? And he's like, it was not my first kiss since 1945. I'm like, what does he say? I'm like 95, not dead. Yeah. And like, that made me think about like, who is Steve Rogers kissing? Yeah. Like, when? When <laughs> does Steve Rogers find the time if he's not going on the dates Natasha's setting him up with? And then like, she, that's where he says the line about like, I can't find anyone with shared life experience where she's like, and I do think it's, I think it is accidental given who the Russo brothers are, but I think it's great that he does yes. not ever mention pronouns. He's just like, anyone. no. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I just, in my head and in my heart, I am going to believe that Steve has been just like hooking up with random strangers in bars. And he thought Sam was going to be one of his one night stands. And mm-hmm. then it turns out that they have to go on, um, uh, a whole rom-com meet cute and then an eventual road trip to go find Bucky together uh, romance yes. journey. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I co-signed this all wholeheartedly. Um, yeah. Um, I said earlier would get to Haley Atwell later. I don't actually have much to say about Haley Atwell other than she is like the most beautiful woman in the world. <laughs> she is an intensely beautiful woman. This is entirely true. And it's at least 80% her, like, line delivery in a role that is not this. She plays the younger sister in Line of Beauty, the BBC adaptation of the uh, Alan Hollinghurst novel, and she's very good at it. And that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> um, so I was thinking about the question, because we, we've talked uh, before about, like, you know, everyone in Pasithea gets to be Steve Rogers at some point. Um, yes. But they all also get to be Bucky at some point, and they all also get to be Peggy at some point. Peggy yes. is very barely in this movie, but yes. I love what she does in it. Because, like, there's this part where, um, well, okay, first of all, I'm going to just read my notes about the museum because I love it. Where, like, Ugh, yeah. the ephemera in the museum that they chose to include, I love all of that so much. Like, it's, I, I feel like, that's part of the vibe we've tried to like do with the Patreon extras. We had a whole conversation when we were coming up with this where like a very early, like before we had even named the characters, like draft of an idea was there would be monologues, but there would also be like a shit ton of ephemera as like part of the podcast. Yes. Do you remember I mean, that? I don't really, but I feel like you can see that in like the interviews, like with Eleanor Lopez yeah. and then like the other like media folks in uh, season two. But yeah, the the actual ephemera I think has lived on in like the written Patreon bonuses. Um, mm-hmm. If you're not supporting us on Patreon, since this episode is going on the general feed, um, yes, we have ephemera there. <laughs> we do. And subsequent book club meetings, gatherings will occur on Patreon. Um, yes, they will. But so some of the ephemera that we've we've done, I'm going to just spoil what it is uh, for some of it. Um, and then you can find out like what it contains uh, if you if you just sign up. Um, there's like random little like notes and like uh, literal like fragments um, from Evelyn's funeral. There's like the notes that people like sign uh like you know condolence letters to his parents there's like uh a recording of like someone else's voicemail from evelyn's funeral there's like all of these like sort of little parts that like are gathered together there there's like the obituary um and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and then like there's um like anders lee's like transcript is that like a legal transcript that like is being redacted it's like yeah basically sort of 
ephemera within the ephemera of like what's been up with him recently. There's a um, steptoe voicemail monologue. Um, there's a little uh, legal glimpse into Sophie's childhood. And there's like Evelyn's high school poetry drafts that have been revised and annotated. Um, yep. And that I think. And more to come. Yes. I think, I think like those have the same feel to me of being in that museum exhibit and being like, oh, there's the motorcycle from the first movie. And there's like, okay, that documentary footage where it's supposed to be like a wartime documentary of like Stephen Bucky. But you know, like it's, I don't know if this is just internet knowledge, but I'm like, that's actually Sebastian Stan behind the scenes footage where he's smiling. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just hang it out. Which I love. Um, and it has such like, you know, like in TV shows where like the the man, the sad man is watching the phone video that his wife took before she was murdered and it's her laughing on a beach for some reason saying I love you. <laughs> it just has that energy to it. The whole thing has that energy to it. It's the, like, <laughs> oh my God, from the music to the clip to like, you've yes. known me your whole life, which like. Obviously, everyone's like the end of the line line is wonderful and I do not disagree. But there is something about the phrase your and or my whole life that Mm -hmm. just like gets me every single time. Yeah. Because you could just like hear the years in it. Oh, that's so true. That's so lovely. Um, Oh, but so there's also this part where Peggy is speaking to like a documentarian, like presumably Mm -hmm. like in like the 60s or something. Um, and you go from, like, Peggy talking about how, like, Steve happened to, like, have accidentally saved this guy in, like, this one battle that would eventually Mm -hmm. become her husband. Um, and then it cuts from that to Steve at Peggy's bedside when she is, like, an aged up Haley Atwell, uh, who's doing a marvelous job pretending to be a very old woman. Um, yeah. And she has this line where she says you saved the world and we rather mucked it up. Um, And then she says, the world has changed and none of us can go back. All we can do is our best. And sometimes the best we can do is to start over. And then she coughs and she forgets him. And I was thinking about how that is such a Jane sentiment. Like, yes, I, if I had to pick like one of like the big love triangle characters, like for which one would I map Jane onto? I would totally pick Peggy. Um, Mm -hmm. specifically because after the events of Captain America, the first Avenger, Peggy goes on and founds S.H.I.E.L.D. And if you've seen um, the Agent Carter show, the first season of which is really, really good, and the second season of which is mostly garbage, um, it's this, I I think it's a a very Jane kind of story. Um, Mm -hmm. And that idea of, like, the compromises you've made actually make maybe the whole thing worth throwing out is like something that Peggy says and it's something that Nick Fury says and it's something that Pierce says and it's something that eventually Steve says and they all mean different things by that which I think is really interesting that all of like the the big like kind of like thematic voices are saying the exact same thing which is no actually let's start over and we have to start over. Like, it's not working. The whole thing is toxic. Like, let's burn it down. But, like, some people mean, okay, yes, let's bring in the Nazis. And some people mean, like, um, let's, let's, like, maybe not have this organization in the first place. No organization is better than what we have. Yeah. Shit. Maybe a good place to wrap this up, I was thinking, is... If you had to sum up in just a couple sentences how the Winter Soldier, or just Captain America as a concept, inspired the Pasithea powder, I'll answer this too, mm-hmm. but wait, how would you, what would you say? I super want to answer this, but can I say my, a couple more dumb little notes first? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, because I think that would be a great note to end on, but I do want to just like not forget to say the things. For our audience. First of all, that shot of Steve hitting the water when the silver hand reaches down for him is very Frodo and Sam at the end of Fellowship of the Ring. And I feel like that's an important cinematic parallel for us to note. Um, Yes. Also cinematic parallel to Bucky falling off the train in the first movie, except reversed. 
Oh, that's so true. I love that. Uh, also, where do people in movies get those lighters that stay on after you take your thumb off the button? Because that seems very unsafe, and I've never held a lighter in person that would do that. Is that just That's how... a really good question. <laughs> is that how old lighters work, or is that like a like is it like a new safety invention or something? Or is it I just wonder. Movie lighters? Okay. Is it is it taped down? Is it burning <laughs> his thumb? <laughs> Like, inquiring minds want to know fury throws the lighter into the like gasoline as everyone in a movie oh, does yeah. and it stays oh on, yeah right if i yeah. threw a lighter into gasoline nothing would happen it would go off immediately exactly <laughs> it goes off when you're holding it yeah yeah huh. anyway okay i also um, have a silly aside that has no further discussion uh yes. steve rogers hijacking the intercom is very jane on the telescope <laughs> it is it totally is uh also i don't think maria should have gone to work for stark industries i think that's a little bit dumb um i agreed oh okay here's here's a a note that i have which is that i really like sharon carter and i like that a little bit because i've read some comics and i really like sharon carter in the comics but i really like what she does in this movie and i think that she gets a really raw deal in like the fandom of like people who like you know, are just fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, like, her role in the recurring movies. Um, I haven't seen, again, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so maybe she's great there. But, like, I feel like she gets boiled down to just, like, the heterosexual, like, love interest for Steve, and that I think is a really understandable reaction, and I think it's really unfair to Sharon. Um, because yeah. she's really interesting as, like, the the spy character who, like, is one of the first people to go, actually, like, this is a bad idea. Like, narratively, her importance is about the same as, like, the guy played by Danny Pudi, right? Who's just like, I... Yes! I, I, I refuse. I don't want to be part of this. Um, if Steve Rogers is against it, it's probably bad. Um, that I, struck me this time, too. She has a full arc yes. for very little screen time. Yes. And I am... I love Iron Man. I love Black Panther. I think the third Captain America movie is a travesty because it was, like, taken over by Iron Man and a big chunk of the plot was devoted to, like, being a trailer for Black Panther. And I think that Sharon in particular was really, like, flattened by that. And because she's the least Mm -hmm. developed of, like, the main Captain America crew members of, like, Natasha, Sam, Bucky, and Steve. And I I think that the third movie should have been Sharon's movie and I'm I'm mad about it. That's, That's the note that I wanted on the record. (laughs) oh something else i want on the record is uh when steve and natasha go to that bunker and the computer professor starts talking to them and he punches the computer monitor and then the professor (laughs) pops up on another computer monitor and goes as i was saying (laughs) that is comedy oh so good and it was very punching david allegro's in the face very punching david allegro i'm the more like we learn about David Allegros, the funnier it is that Sophie comes <laughs> in the face. <laughs> um, okay, so what element of Captain America: The Winter Soldier like most inspired Pasithea? Is that the question? Yeah, or just how? Here, I'll I'll answer so you know where I'm where I'm angling with this. Yeah, because yeah, so. For you, for me, how did Captain America the Winter Soldier inspire Pasithea? For me, it was through the fic that I read. Mm, And, like, all of that obviously exists because of this film. And the fic that I most enjoy, as I already said, really, like, directly grapples with the themes raised by the film that the genre, like, the film by its nature is not equipped to deal with. Mm. Um, And... I, but it does it and they're there and like these questions would not be raised if the film had not raised them. And so I really, for me, the parts of it that inspired the Pasithea powder are these questions of like grief, memory, like, yep. Uh, post-war trauma. Oh yeah. I think like, I'm going to, I'm going to give you answers in the form of images. Um, cause that feels mm-hmm. the truest yes. to me. 
Um, and they're yes. not all going to be from Captain America the Winter Soldier, but they're just going to be like, you yeah. know, th- the stuff around it that plays into it. Um, yeah. Image one. Uh, Steve in the first movie, after Bucky has, he thinks, died, um, sitting in the burned out shell of like a church, um, failing to mm. get drunk. And then Peggy comes in and she's like, would your friend want you to give up? And Ugh. then, of course, like he gets up and he goes with her and like... A question he has not answered. <laughs> he do- he can't answer it. He can't answer it. Because, like, no. it, I think that's, like, you see Steve's death wish there a little bit. And you also see, like, the... Because Steve is very, very bisexual, right? Like, Steve, I think, does yes. genuinely love Peggy. And I think he genuinely loves Bucky. And I think he genuinely loves Sam. Um, but, like, he... <laughs> he, like, I think... It's, like, the grief of, like, someone you love is, like, gone, but then, like, he's about to, like, do this, like, thing where he's going to make Peggy grieve for him, and, like, I think part of him, he doesn't know the specifics, but he kind of knows it's going to happen at that point, right? And, like, I don't know, like, the, just, like, the the complexity of, like, the the despair in that moment I really, really love. Um, And then, okay, I'm going to move on to Peggy. Uh, and I'm going to give us, uh, in the very last scene of Agent Carter, again, season one, season two is bad. Um, Peggy has gone through all of this stuff. Uh, you should watch Agent Carter season one, by the way. It's also very queer. She literally gets to kiss a Black Widow in it. And not like Natasha, a different Black Widow. But it's great. Um, she, <laughs> uh, Haley Atwell is standing on the Brooklyn Bridge. And she is like deciding to move on finally with like her life and not grieve for Steve anymore. And there's this lovely moment where she has a vial of Steve's blood that like people have been trying to get all season. And uh, she pours it out. She pours it um, into the river and uh, in a beautiful Haley Atwell fashion, she just says like, goodbye, my darling. And it's like, Oh, okay. She's always going to love him and she's going to move on and maybe, uh, I, I don't think she actually marries that guy. I think she was maybe married to that guy in the 60s, but I think she ended up uh, with uh, with a woman. Um, yeah. And then my third uh, image... That really, like, speaks to that whole, like, the personal... Not just the personal is the political. That's... that. Well, sure, that's always true. But, like, the bigger plot, the, like, geopolitical plot or the, like, drama plot being reinforced by the personal yeah. plot. Yeah, yes. Okay, and my third image, you see I, I've gone through uh, the the OT3 here. My third image is for Bucky. Um, in The Winter Soldier, there's that scene where Pierce tells them to wipe him after, like, they're like, he's been out of cryo too long. And they just, like, they're treating him like an object. They're not treating him like a person. And they shove him back into the chair. And he is, like, very violently being handled, right? And he opens his mouth for, like, this bit that they, like, shove into his mouth that he can bite down on so that he can scream. And, like, the the way that he opens his mouth is just, like, it's so passive and it's so just, like oh, okay, I have, I have completely ceded control. Like, I didn't even realize the control was mine to cede over what happens to yeah. me now. And that, I think, yeah. is also very passive AI. It is. Oh, that scene. Yeah. One thing that jumped out at me watching this scene is when he... So he says, I knew him. And Pierce yeah. is like, he explains that away. And then <sighs> right before that scene, he, he like insists on, he goes, but I knew him. And then he does this kind of almost apologetic grimace he or does. like wince. He does. And then he just like submits as you just described. And it is, ah. I mean, it's also yeah. the scene where we have someone actually using mind control technology on someone. So it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Identity porn, mind (laughs) control, (laughs) bisexuality, grief, trauma. Your ghosts come back to haunt you. (laughs) Your high school trauma. (laughs) Your high school trauma. (laughs) Um, so I think that's our book club, listeners. I think that's our book club. Um, if you liked this, uh, 
if you sort of liked this, but you're curious to see what we'll do with subsequent book clubs, um, we'll be continuing this until our season resumes um, over on Patreon, where we will also be dropping a little tidbit here and there for the $10 plus crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, so check us out. Um, yes. To clarify, uh, if you are on Patreon... Yes. Um, $5 and up, you will get the book club episodes. It's like the extra written stuff that you will get if you were $10 and above. Yes. Thank you. That is a very important clarification. Um, oh, yeah. Should we tell it. them, should we tell them what the next thing will be? Yes. Yes. Our next, um, book club discussion listeners will be the Regeneration Trilogy by Pat Barker, which if you follow us on social media, as we have much discussed, um, but there's always so much more to say always and, more. uh, we will talk about it. Yes, we will. Um, stay safe out there listeners and, uh, we'll see you. See you next time. <laughs> Bye. Thank you.